She Said, She Said. I'm your host, Laura Cox Kaplan. We have a very special guest with us today, Juliana Zobrist. Juliana, for those who don't know, has quite a list of things on her resume. I would say this is a portfolio life, if ever there was one. She is a very talented musician, an author, a speaker. She's the mom of three children. She also happens to be, I would say, Ben Zobrist happens to be married to Juliana rather than <laughs> Juliana is married to Ben Zobrist. And for those who don't know, he was the World Series MVP last year, right? 20, 2016. 2016. Uh, so for those Cub fans out there, a big shout out to you guys. We are actually broadcasting today from the Policy Circles Annual Summit. Uh, which brings together amazing women of influence who are using their voices in very unique and interesting ways to have an impact. And if that sounds familiar, it was the nexus for the development of She Said, She Said. So it's really special to be here. But for now, let's talk to Juliana. I am so thrilled to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here and to have gotten to meet you so far. You're like a ray of sunshine in my life now. Thank you. (laughs) Well, I feel the same way. I feel the same way. So Juliana has a book that is coming out um, in the next couple of weeks, right? Yes, September 18th. September 18th. So by the time we air, the book may be out by then. But the book is called Pull It Off. Talk to me about why this book. I wrote Pull It Off because I love people. (laughs) I do. I love to connect with people. And as a singer for all of my career so far, um, I just wanted to expand the message of my heart outside of a three and a half minute song. Mm -hmm. Because what I was realizing is I I would step off stage and meet people after the show that whether it was a 12-year-old girl or an 84-year-old woman that we were connecting on these same issues. Circumstantially, our lives may look so very different, but we were connecting on these things of themes of wanting more confidence, um, maybe not feeling worthy enough to do what it is that we feel called to do, the roadblocks of insecurity and fear and, and what I call the shoulds of the world and how do we navigate this and how do we how do we actually begin to reframe the use of fear as something good? How do we use it as a catalyst to tap into our courage and become confident women who can ultimately pull it off? And that was the journey of writing this book. Yeah. So let's back up a bit and talk about your journey. Yes. Um, I don't know as much about your background and how you got started. Was the music first for you or has that come later? Yes, music was first for me. Music and science were my first two loves as a child. Music and science? Yes, microbiology, oddly enough, was um, a love of mine for many, many years. And so my choice and career path was either to go into science, be a microbiologist, or um, into music. And my love for communicating, my love for literature, for words, uh, won me over. So I attended Belmont University and graduated from there in Nashville, Tennessee with a major in commercial voice. And quickly, my sophomore year of college began traveling with a rock artist, um, cutting demos for songwriters and uh, being a personal assistant to different artists around the city. And um, that was really my foot in the door. But the entire time, I have always written music. Writing has always been my primary passion. and that was sort of an organic experience for me to go from singing to being asked 
I was so fortunate to be asked to speak around the nation about these concepts of fear and courage. Mm -hmm. And then through those conversations and through my research for those speeches, pull it off just sort of became what it was. Yeah, yeah. Well, you have an interesting story. You met you met Ben somewhere along the way. In high school. In high school. Is <laughs> yes, that right? You met in high school? Oh, my gosh. Yes. So, but you married after college. Um, in college. In college. Yes, we did. <laughs> we just made it as completely complex as we possibly could. That's fantastic. Yes. You now have three beautiful children. We do. And you're living a dual career life by anybody's definition of what that means, but sort of times 10, because it's not just two really big careers, but it's two really big, very visible careers where you both have a high degree of celebrity around what you're doing. How do you create normalcy for your kids? What does that look like? How do you think about this? We have pretty strict boundaries for our family. Um, We want our kids to always feel safe to never feel like they're being pandered to or taken advantage of. So we really protect them. Um, You know, we love our fans though so much equally and uh, as well. And so, but the line that we've had to draw is when we're with them and we're out in public and we're with our children that we just, we don't sign. We'll shake your hand. We're gonna be nice. We're gonna love you because we do love you because without our fans, we don't have jobs. Um, but it's important for us, especially when we're home, to uh, just to protect them and to be really, really honest with them. You know, they ask a lot of questions, and, and we're very open and transparent with them about the good things that come along with the job and then also some of the more difficult things. Yeah. You write about in your book um, where you talk about the shoulds, the, the yes. shoulds that other people put on you. Yes. And you tell a very interesting story that I'd love for you to 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 tell our audience about something that happened when you were there with your, I think your oldest child, right? Yes, I was a new mom and my husband was playing in his first all-star game, which is a massive achievement for any major league ball player. And I had my, I believe he was four months old. He was in my (laughs) arms. It was after the game and these games start at seven. They don't get over until 10. My husband, you know, works out and does his conditioning work after the game. So it's midnight until we get out of there. So I am in an elevator on my way down into the tunnel to meet my husband after the game. Newborn baby on my hip, you know, a few months old, already feeling all of the insecurities of being a new mom. (laughs) You know, motherhood is pregnant with insecurities, pun intended. And so I'm, I'm on the elevator. My, my son, Zion, was just as happy as could be. But this woman, um, because of the time of night that it was, leaned over to him and started, oh, mommy, I should really be in bed, speaking to him in an extremely passive aggressive manner. Please put me to bed, mommy. I should really, really be in bed. You're so mean, mommy. Like that, speaking to my son, not to me. I am standing there mortified going, yeah, you're probably right. Like, you're probably right. You probably should be in bed. Like, what am I doing? Why do I have a kid? I'm not qualified, you know. So what this woman did, and I went home that night, and I told my husband, and I cried in bed, and I was like, maybe I should stop. Maybe I should stop my career. Maybe I should stop bringing our son to these late games and put him on a more predictable routine that most children are have that luxury of having and maybe I should do this and I should do that and I should stop this and I shouldn't and I realized in that moment that what this woman was doing is 
such a classic offense that goes so unnoticed so often that she was shooting on me. She was taking S-H-O-U-L-D, should. Shooting. She shooting <laughs> on me. She was taking her opinions and preferences that maybe have worked for her in her life, and she was placing them on me. And I, in turn, began to should upon myself. I shouldn't be doing this. I began to doubt and question and feel more insecure than I already was. And, you know, I say if I could go back <laughs> and see that woman in the elevator, I would probably tell her all of the things that she didn't know. She didn't know that she was just watching my husband, that that was my husband she was cheering on at second base. She didn't know that this is his son and that he, yeah, goes to bed at midnight, but he actually wakes up at noon. <laughs> he <laughs> naps from 3 until 7 p.m. every day, you know? Like, our schedule is just so flip-flopped. There was nothing wrong with it, but she, she saw fit to should on me, and so my response back to her would be, don't should on me. Don't should on me. In chapter 2 of my book, that's what, that's, that's what the chapter is called, Don't Should On Me, and it's basically just illuminating all of the ways in which we do this. We should on each other, we should on ourselves, and we really inhibit ourselves based out of fear of what other people are going to think or whether or not they're going to approve of us. We inhibit ourselves from being who we are and, and honestly from being educated women. Yeah, and, and don't you think this is very unique to women, that we do this disproportionately to men? Mm -hmm. Meaning this is something that we do to ourselves in a way that men typically don't. Yeah, I do know that men feel pressure a lot of times, even if it's just the way that, you know, don't make the same mistakes I did. Or I, I created this life for our family. You go one step further. So there are these exponential sort of expectations placed on the male gender, too. I don't know that it's necessarily gender specific, although being a female myself, I, I do see because of our desire to be empathetic and connect and not hurt one another's feelings, which is an overgeneralized female characteristic, yes. I would say. And that's a good thing. But when we inappropriately tether our opinions to somebody else without seeking to understand them, mm -hmm. but we value being right over understanding, that's when we get ourselves into trouble because we've got to learn how to say what we mean and mean what we say, and ask a question, and be confident enough women that are able to be disagreed with, and that's not threatening to me. You know, you can be freed up to be different than me, and I'm not threatened by that, because I know who I am. Yeah. And I am an educated woman, and I've made my own decisions, and I own them. So the shooting takes place when, when that self-confidence is lacking, mm -hmm. and when um, we're threatened by people that are different from us. Where does confidence come from for you? to that point? Confidence, without a doubt, comes from my belief of an intrinsic value and worth. Just knowing and believing that I've, for me, being created in the image of God, I believe that everyone has been created in his image. And that's something to be celebrated. So you are, in a way, reflecting an image of God that I don't reflect because we're all it's almost like we're all fractions of him in a, in a way. And so we're supposed to all be working together to collectively um, show one another more of who God is. So um, that to me isn't a threatening thing. That should be something that we champion and, and love and um, celebrate. Your faith is a very big part of your life and your work. Yeah. Where does it come from? Has it always been there? Were you raised in a 
a strong religious household, or did this come I later? I was. Yeah, yeah, my dad is a pastor. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> he oh, he definitely were. I definitely was. <laughs> I was raised in a very evangelical home. I will say... Sometimes there can be for, a healthy degree of rebellion. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> clearly not and in there, Well, there was at a certain part of my life. I think for all of us, we, we go through this journey of of not just self-discovery, but the discovery of who God is and who he is to you. And and for me, I, I always, I would have initially called myself, and I talk about this in the book, I would have referred to myself as a naturalist. I saw God in creation. I saw his handiwork. I never, I loved science so much because to me it showed who, it showed God's intimacy and intricacy. It wasn't, the two didn't compete to me. Um, but then, yeah, my faith really became my own when I was in college. And I'll, I would say became my own in so much as it was less about um, seeing God in creation and then also, but beginning to see him as a God of love that loves me individually and that I'm able to love him too just by resting in his approval of me. That's beautiful. Talk about that influence in your music. Do you define mm. yourself as a Christian rock musician or how do you how do you what how what definition do you prefer? I mean, it's pop. It's, it's pop. Christian it's, pop. It's spiritual. It doesn't feel it religious. Is. It feels <laughs> spiritual. I, I was listening to yes. it. And it feels very it's very uplifting and very spiritual. Thank it doesn't you. really seem religious per se. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not no. trying to define it. Um Religious music to me can sometimes feel like you're being pandered to, and I have a hard time with that type of thing. Um, for me, my music is just honest. It's from my heart. I'm not concerned about making something pretty that's not actually pretty. I'm not going to try and say that a song that I wrote about my husband is actually about God, nor am I going to flip it and say this is about God when it's you know about my husband or whatever. So... Um, it's all just very honest. I, I'm not into hiding really any part of myself, so I'm open to talk about all of it. So some songs are just about being a chick and, you know, wanting to not be bullied anymore. Some songs are about God and mystery and wonder. Some songs are about my husband and romance and all of those things. So, yeah, you get all of it. <laughs> so you, you named, your last album is called Shatterproof. Yes. So why Shatterproof? Why that name? Yeah, um... I wrote that song because my best friend's little girl was getting bullied on the playground, mm -hmm. and she was bullied by this boy in a in a very passive aggressive manner. In so much as that, one day he would say she was so beautiful. The next day she he would say that she was ugly. The next day he would say she was beautiful. It was very manipulative, yeah. and she was so bound by whether or not he was going to approve her that day that she was living in fear because of you know, whether or not this kid, Chad, was going to like her that day. And I just totally pulled a Taylor Swift. I'm like, I'm writing a song about this kid. I'm writing a song about this boy. <laughs> and I'm going to call it out for what it is. Dear doubt, dear fear, I'm talking to you. Dear guilt, dear shame, here's my line in the sand. I'm done with the games. I'm done with the games. I'm shatterproof. And that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that you're not broken. It doesn't mean that there aren't cracks. It doesn't mean that you can't fall and be chipped. You know, it doesn't mean that we're perfect people by any means, but it does mean that we, um, 
we cannot let the approval or disapproval of other people hold so much weight in our lives. We've got to be secure and confident enough to approve ourselves, to know that we're approved by God, and therefore be able to approve other people. So in addition to Shatterproof, the other songs on the album are, are also very uplifting, very empowering. Do you write most of the songs yourself? Do you collaborate with other artists? How does yeah, that work? I write them all. Wow. I write amazing. them all, and I, then I go into the studio with my producer, who's also a really gifted writer, and he helps tighten it up you know, screw the bolts in the right way and everything. So it's a collaborative experience, but everything initially comes just simply from my mouth, my head, my brain. Yeah, it's great. It's great. So we touched on this a little bit a couple minutes ago on, dare I say, work-life balance. I kind of hate that because it sounds really pedestrian and not that interesting. But in your case, where you're talking about, you know, you both have – really big careers, very mm-hmm. visible careers, and you're, um, you're balancing that. How do you avoid competition between the two of you? Because there are going to be things that you need the other person for, and he has a game, or you have a concert, or you right. have a book, um, you know, a, a, something related to the book launch, or something like that. But you're, you've got competing demands that are highly visible. Mm-hmm. How do you manage that? How do you stay in front of that and keep that from being an obstacle? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it's hard. I know it's it is, hard. <laughs> it is hard. I mean, I'm annoyingly obsessed with my calendar. I mean, if we're just talking logistics, we sit down every spring. We have about a four to five hour meeting with my team. And then because his schedule can't move, mine can tweak a little bit. And mm-hmm. we create my schedule to work and coincide with his. And um, we have a family rule where we don't spend any longer than six days apart. And while it's not written in stone, it is something that we really try and hold tight to and try and honor. Not that it's a golden ticket to anything perfect, but it just sort of gets, gives us a starting point for scheduling. So we do that. And then to your point about competition with one another, I guess we just see our roles with one another as being so simple. Just, just love and loving our children and coming home to one another at night and I don't need him at my shows nor does he need me at his game we really do differentiate the two and try and keep work at work and then home at home much like a banker would you know (laughs) much like anybody would right you leave home and you want to come home to your safe restful place where you can talk about all of the mundane and all of the intimate things Mm -hmm. it would be impossible given your two schedules your husband's in particular where Mm -hmm. he's on the road traveling to baseball games all over the country your children are homeschooled as a result yes so talk about how how does it work logistically yeah (laughs) do you do all you can't possibly do all the homeschooling absolutely not and you have three as i mentioned you have three children we do so what is that what does that infrastructure look like? Well, our nine-year-old is in fourth grade, mm-hmm. our six-year-old is in second, and then our um, two-year-old is in preschool now. And I'll never forget the, the day that I found out I was pregnant with our firstborn, and I thought, oh my gosh, how is this going to work when school year comes? And I'm like, oh, we've got six years. We're not going to still be doing this. <laughs> and here we are. So I, I did attempt to homeschool for the first couple years. I was homeschooled as well as a child. 
but it is a full-time job. It is truly, you, to the women, all the women who homeschool, I love you. you I mean, it's amazing accomplishment that these women do. It's a, it's so it was amazing. too much for me. It's so amazing because, you know, just from my own perspective, I have two, two children that are sort of similar ages to two of yours. But even helping with homework, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm not as well suited for that as having somebody else who comes in and helps them with homework. So yes. the idea that I would be responsible for yes. all of that, there's there's a tension that's built in. There is. That, well, there is, right? but there's a freedom too in recognizing what you're not gifted at and being okay with that. Yeah, I'm not gifted at being a teacher. It's just not my strong suit, and I'm okay with that. And so. The kids actually attend the private academy when we're home in Nashville, and then when we're traveling and touring for eight months out of the year, they're homeschooled by a certified teacher who comes with us on the road a little bit, but then also just um, manages their schooling from Chicago within our own schedule, Mm -hmm. so it changes weekly. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a lot to keep track of. How do you deal with uh, failure and setback. I mean, these are big topics. Mm-hmm. We've talked about talked a little bit about confidence, but failure and setback can be things mm-hmm. that really can be devastating to people. Mm-hmm. How do you pick yourself up, put one foot in front of the other, and keep going? Yeah. What's your process for recovery? I guess is the better you know, way to say that. Yeah, I I remind myself that I have never met a successful person, male or female, who's not equally, if not if not more so, um, acquainted with failure. And I think it's so important for us to be able to name our failures and to call them for what they are and even write them down and this didn't go well and I missed this, I wasn't prepared in this way, whatever it was, this this meeting didn't go well, I didn't get the gig I thought I would get and just recognize it for what it is, write it down, that's kind of my process, and then take those closed doors as, all right, well, it's not where I was supposed to be. But failure has never been something that has stopped me. It actually has been somewhat of a motivator for me just to continue going because we all have an opportunity to be successful. We all have an opportunity to know what we are capable of and you'll never find out what you're capable of if you're afraid to fail. How do you employ that same wisdom with your kids? How do you teach them those same lessons at the ages that they are now? Showing them, telling them those words, but then also it's important for them to see us when we do fail, like bringing them to my rehearsals or bringing them to various shows and then talking about it afterwards. Or for Ben, bringing them into the clubhouse, you know, him playing baseball, um, seeing all the work that in, is in that entails for his job and for his career. Yeah, you'd never become successful without an immense amount of failure. Yeah. <laughs> Get real cozy with it. <laughs> <laughs> How did, um, my guess is life changed pretty dramatically when he was drafted. Um, yes. Right? It did. So how, you had been on this journey, that was clearly something that yes. was probable, I would yes. say, right? Or something that you planned for. What surprised you about that shift? Did you all change? Did How did your lives change? When he was drafted? Yeah. Well, he initially thought he was going to be a youth pastor. And no I kidding. was on the road singing. And so we thought that that was 
our reality that he was going to graduate and you know maybe go to seminary and Jules was going to be bouncing around doing her thing on stage and then he got drafted and so yes it was a it was a really quick change but it was so exciting for us and I'm I love seeing people fulfill their dreams or their aspirations so I I never felt threatened by that I never felt like oh boy, what is this going to do for me? I knew that there would be elements of sacrifice that would have to take place, but I valued my marriage, my relationship over, I, over my career. I always have. So that wasn't, an, that wasn't really a difficult change in the moment. Mm-hmm. But as we journeyed along and opportunities were coming to me that, didn't, that couldn't really work with our family, that's when it got harder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's when it got harder. You and I talked briefly uh, before we started the interview about how it can be difficult with celebrity to know who your friends are, to Mm -hmm. make friends, to manage friendships. What advice do you have for other people who may find themselves in a similar circumstance, most likely on the end of being friends with somebody who achieves a certain level of celebrity that hasn't always been there, that person becomes more famous and more more known, what advice do you have for their friends? Yeah. Um, Well, I would say even just for the passers-by that see somebody, um, just to give those people the benefit of the doubt, to know that, at least speaking for myself and my husband, we wish that we could give to every person that asks. Like We feel so indebted. We, When you have an entertainment job, you know, you the livelihood of your business exists on those with those fans and we want to give back in every single possible way that we can but at some point you you can't meet everybody's needs and so I would just say um just to give grace and the fans that we meet that do that that are understanding and that are I just wanted to say I love you, but I know that you're with your family. Have a great date night or whatever. Like, that just means the world, you know. Um, To maintain that humanity between people is of utmost importance. And I want to do that with fans, and I want to be given the same gift in return of just being human beings. We're way more similar than we think. (laughs) Yeah. So we ask every person who comes on the podcast to leave us with... A single piece of, advi- a piece of advice or a life hack, maybe it's a mantra that you live by, oh, maybe it's something you might, have, might tell your younger self. Yes. What would yours be if you could distill it down to one thing? Yes. Oh, I have so many things. <laughs> Share more. So, no. <laughs> Why stick with one? <laughs> Why stick with one? No, I would tell, I, if I was talking to my younger self, I would tell her that all of the things that she felt were her insecurities were actually her superpower. I would tell her to not be afraid of tapping into the things that she thought, oh my word, people are going to think I'm weird if, fill in the blank. Those things are actually what have made me me and what I'm most proud of now. So um, that would be my advice to my younger self. You are amazing. What, Thank you. What, you are too. What a treat to spend time with oh, you and get too. to know you. Thank this you. is really very special. Thank, Thank you, you. Yeah. very much for sharing not only your time with me, but with our listeners. And your perspective in the book is amazing. It's awesome. truly amazing. Thank you so much. So highly recommend the book. It's called Pull It Off. 
Um, thank you all for listening. You can learn more about Juliana from our website at www.shesaidshesaidpodcast.com. We'll include show notes and some photographs from today's visit. And if you're enjoying this podcast, we would greatly appreciate a review and some feedback from you. It's really, really helpful to us. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening.